We are going to look at the Holy Spirit out of the book of John, and it's part one, because there's a lot to say about the book of John. The Gospel of John's a personal favorite, and uh, if you've been here for any, yes, I'm excited too. If you've been here, no, please let the kids make noise, it's fine, that just shows life. If you've been here for more than a couple of years, you know that John is a personal favorite. The other Gospels cover basically the same ground. They cover about a year, year and a half of Jesus' ministry. John takes new themes and new stories and brings them to us. The best guess about why his gospel is so different is that he, growing old, was seeing the first generation of those who knew Jesus dying off. Well, when people die, they take their stories with them, unless those stories have been shared. And therefore, as he saw those stories, which were so well known, nobody had to write them down. Now somebody needed to write them down. And so he writes, and it's a, it's a fascinating gospel. He's going to mention the Holy Spirit 21 times. Now, compared to the book of Acts, where we find it about 70 times, you might not be that impressed, but you should be, because John brings information with the Spirit every time he mentions him. More data, more information with each mention. What the, what the other Gospels tend to say about the Spirit mainly involve the work of Jesus or the universe. When John writes about the Spirit, he directly applies the Spirit to the lives of the followers of Christ, those in next in line. Once again, the book seems to have been written for those that didn't get to see Jesus firsthand. Those who have lost now that first generation, about to lose the second generation where stories are kind of still alive. And he wants the followers of Jesus and the generations to come to know something very important about life and faith. And that's about the Holy Spirit. He opens his book with that famous explosion of light and darkness, creation and eternity. Let's put that up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that chapter. Love all of John, frankly, but I love that chapter because it sets up a theme, <clears throat> light and darkness, light and darkness. And John is going to use that theme throughout his entire gospel. And you miss it if you only go to read a chapter a day, or you only go to read a story, or worse, the most awful use of scripture, go to find a, a verse that backs up something you already believe. Don't do that. Read it as light and darkness, light and darkness. Coming of Jesus is very crucial because someone will speak through Jesus to the followers. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. Now there's an assumption in that verse. We have to dig and go underneath to find it. 
But in that verse, it says the words of God come through Christ, for it is the Spirit who gives the words. The first generation knew that. The first generation knew about Pentecost. They knew about the work of Paul. They knew about how the church had spread with this burst, this explosion upon the earth. Second generation starts to go, well, I don't know. And then it begins to fade. If you don't remember, it begins to fade. And so you have to always go back and remember, what, what, is, our, what is our founding idea? How did we get here? Everything we find in Scripture, everything we gather from dreams and visions, every dollar we spend, every situation in which we find ourselves, all, put that in capitals, all must be taken to Jesus so that we can hear what the Spirit has to say about this, whatever this is. Remember, we go to Jesus for it is he who was sent to us. We ask Jesus and we receive the Spirit. Have a look at Luke 11, verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, Jesus was playing with the people there, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Notice again what's assumed here. If we were making this argument, we would say, all right, <clears throat> you're not God. You're not anywhere near as good as God. And you, even you, as messed up as you are, you can give good gifts to your children. So God wants to give the best gift of all, the greatest gift of all, the Holy Spirit. None of that needed to be said. It was understood that the best thing God could give you is the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a struggle. That really is. You know, there are a lot of folk, and we're nodding our heads here. We all agree the oh, Holy Spirit's the best gift ever. But sometimes when you have a flat tire and you pull out your phone, you would have gone, ah, I'd like to actually have a bar of service as well. Um, I'd, I'd like to have a phone that's not dead. Or I, I'd like to, or, or I would like for my kid to quit getting sick every Monday when it's school time. Right? We have mundane concerns, and God keeps trying to tell us, this is just for a while. This doesn't last all go away, but the Spirit will remain with you. It's interesting that this book starts off by saying that Jesus is and was God, that he created all things that have ever been made, and then John introduces us to miracles in his gospel that don't show up in the other gospels. John's very unique at every level. John never, never tells one of the parables of Jesus just doesn't and in John's miracles everything that Jesus does is creative power now let me ex explain <clears throat> let's say that I have a cold or I have cancer or I have a virus or I have a neurological disease Jesus healing me would be fantastic but that's not creative power that's merely readjusting the system in John it's all creative power. It's somebody who's never had eyesight gets it. It's walking on water. It's water to wine, which doesn't happen without a lot of steps in between. But it happens. Healing takes place immediately. Raising the dead. All of these things have creative power, restorative power. So when John speaks of the darkness of men's hearts and the darkness 
that lies in the way, the world's way of doing things is just dark. And the darkness now has found a way to flood itself into our lives. We raised our kids, and I can remember when our son was, uh, uh, the, the wedding was over and he was married to a Christian girl. Our daughter had been married to a Christian man. Uh, both of them chose very, very well, wonderful mates. Both of them had been baptized long before. As soon as they said, I do, I turned to Cammie and I went, right, we got anything from here on, that's on them, right? We did good, now it's up to them. And and they've done lovely, that's not the point. The point is, it would terrify me to raise one now because of how fast the world is finding new dark ways to reach our kids. Their screen time has become awful. Do you remember Saturday mornings used to be cartoons? And if you're in Breton, they were Blue Peter. If you don't know what that is, oh, you missed out. You missed out. It was all, let's, you know, I've got three pipe cleaners and a bottle cap. Let's make a model of Jerusalem. It was amazing what they did. It really was. <clears throat> and, and it never worked. It never worked at home. They would say, now, it's kind of like the cooking shows. I don't watch cooking shows, but I got caught in a place where there was one. And the lady's just talking real fast and goes, I happened to have baked one last night. I'm going, you, you, that was unfair. Uh, everybody else is still trying to write down three steps ago. Well, it's hard because darkness seeps in. Darkness finds a way to take over everything good. But John, though he mentions the darkness, never mentions demons. Never. It's something I would assume he is so close to the light of the Spirit in Christ that he he doesn't ignore the darkness, but he ignores those powers because he does not consider them a danger to him because he has the Spirit. It doesn't mean the devil can't do bad stuff to us. It just means that's all right. We'll make it. We've been in battle before. We'll be in battle again, and then we'll go home because we have the Holy Spirit of God. John quotes Jesus speaking about the Spirit of God more than all of the other writers, not combined, but each, I should have said, therefore, each of the other writers. Uh, Matthew mentions uh, Jesus talking about the Spirit five times. Mark and Luke, three times. John, 15 times. And I like the quote from Tim Woodruff, who wrote a, gro- a great book about what Jesus says about the Spirit. In fact, that's almost its title. Um, wrote this. When the Spirit comes up in John, the letters are likely to be in red. This is something unique to the fourth gospel and uniquely precious. John, seeing the generations pass, needed to pass to the next generation. That Jesus told us some things that would comfort us. And the main thing is, the Holy Spirit is not leaving. The Holy Spirit is staying, and in fact, coming in a more powerful way now that Jesus is going away physically. We'll talk about that. In John's Gospel, Jesus warns that we must be born of water and the Spirit. And it's really important that you notice that, because Jesus did not use absolute words that often he just didn't absolute words are are, can be judgment words they can be hard words and so he would use them mainly toward the religious people of the day 
But here, he looks at this earnest seeker and he uses the word must. There's not a lot of room out there for, to get out of this. Must be born of the water and the spirit. So we push baptism, but we must also push that Christians are to act as the baptized people of Christ. They are to behave as those who have the spirit within them. Their speech, therefore, is limited. Their actions are limited. And in, in other ways, opened up. We're put into a new lane. We're put into a new place here. Jesus warns us, if we take the Spirit, buckle up, we're going to move. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. By the way, this is, he's, he's playing, he's doing an argument out of absurdity. It was a very common, non-offensive way of arguing back then, of discussing. So he wasn't coming back at Jesus. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. And look where we go. We leap. You and I, we're, we are all children of Aristotle and Plato, even if you don't know it. And we would like to have about six or seven steps. And Jesus leaps, and so does John, right to, you shouldn't be surprised. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or, or comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You and I look at that and go, huh, not a clue. <laughs> but if you follow Semitic logic and Semitic reasoning, you know what he's saying. He's saying nothing that happens next should surprise you. When I say you must be born again and you're thinking, that's absurd. No, wait, the Spirit's here. Nothing that happens next should be a surprise to you. This is a new world. Buckle up. God did not save you to make you comfortable. Now, sometimes it happens when, when I'm away somewhere and I'm speaking and they're not used to me. You're used to me. So you're pretty calm. You're able to sit back there and kind of survive the moment. But others aren't. And I will sometimes have someone come up to me and they will say, you made me very uncomfortable with this and with the other. And I'll lean in and say, and why did you think it was my job to make you comfortable? And then we go from there. And, and I've had people come to me to say before and say, you know, people don't like coming up to you with questions because of the way you answer them. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to leave you alone in your error and happy and peaceful in inaction. We're going to move. If you've got the spirit, things are going to happen to you. Cammie and I were talking about last night on the, on the way home from yet another soccer game in the blazing heat. Um, it, you know it's fall uh, in Tennessee when it's 94 during the soccer game. And the leaves aren't changing colors. They're committing suicide. <laughs> and you're, you're driving home caked with dust. 
And we started talking about the blessings in our lives that we did not expect. And the paths in our lives. I, I, I said, God has completely ruined my daydreaming. Because in my life, I've always said, what if I'd chosen this job? Or what if we had done this? Or what if... And now, every time I say that, I look back behind me and say, but then these people wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't have these people in our life, and, oh, I don't like that daydream anymore. But you'll see them in the rearview mirror better than you'll see them out the windscreen. Windshield, like you're going to war. It's a windscreen. Uh, it's not a glove compartment. It's a glove box, and none of us put gloves in there, so let's just move on. John, uh, John chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, please. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet, I love that, I love that. First of all, he's put the Samaritan woman in a really bad place. He goes, salvation's coming from the Jews. Yet, the time is coming. Oh, there's going to be change. And has now come, uh uh-oh, a lot of people don't even notice a change has happened. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are, they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and the worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Oh, there's a lovely preacher story. I'm almost certain it didn't happen, um, but it's a great preacher story about, uh, you know, in a, a very staid, very um, formal church. Uh, during a song, the lady was, you know, just, you know, it's always a lady, I'm picking on a lady, and she was just really, you know, hands in the air and, you know, kind of moving around, and, you know, the, um, the ushers, which are generally hushers in some churches, uh, uh, hushed her, you know, saying, and she kept doing it, and eventually uh, she said, I can't help it, I'm just full of the spirit, and he said, well, you didn't get it here. Well, <laughs> being full of the spirit doesn't have one look. It might show up in many, people that sit quietly and reflect during a song might be full of the Spirit too. And those that jump up and down might be full of the Spirit. None of us can decide that for anybody else. What we have to do is just say, don't be surprised. Why should you be surprised? Later, Jesus would say this, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now listen to this. Watch this verse. You see, he didn't say, except by formal, ritualized expressions of worship. He did not say, by ritual and memorized words. He did not say, by picking the right church that figures it out after the books are written. He says, by me. If it doesn't look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, act like Jesus, it's not Jesus. And it is not the Spirit of God, because the Spirit of God helps us look like, sound like, and act like Jesus. Jesus feeds the people in John chapter 6, and I love it that he also warns them that he's not on this planet to keep feeding them. That there will come times when they're hungry, and that he loves them as much when they're hungry as he did when he fed them. He tells them, live for more than food. Live for more than comfort. Live for what is now and live for what is next. Now, that's important. We get the both. You know, there were people back when uh, the, uh, the slave trade was going on that would tell the slaves, well, you know, it'll be better by and by. No, don't do that. Don't do that. We live 
full of the Spirit now and then. We live for the now and then. We don't tolerate injustice now, knowing that Jesus will sort it out later. We are the people of Jesus. We go to work. We get it done. But we do it like Jesus would. And we have to keep in, in mind that we do it like Jesus did. He even tells his apostles that they should be happy for them when he tells them he's going to be killed and they should be thrilled that he's going away. Well, that's a hard ask. I'm not really sure I could have pulled that one off. But why? He says, because a paraclete is coming. Life is a journey. Food and stuff, that's not the point. The Spirit has come through Christ, and now we get to John 14, 15, and 16, perhaps the richest chapters in Scripture on the Holy Spirit. Those of you with short attention spans and hate reading, I, I really do, I feel for you. That can, that can be your wiring, it can be your, your background, I, I don't know, but I'm aware it does exist, and there's no judgment from here. What I would suggest is if you can't handle the whole book of John right now, Go to 14, 15, and 16 and just absorb that over the next few months. Just keep reading it over and over the next few months. It'll, it'll help. There, the Holy Spirit is called in the Greek the paraclete. That's a very difficult word to translate exactly, but it means the one who walks with us, alongside us. They strengthen us and form us. If you've got a load you can't carry very well on your own, they share the load. All of that is you, the word paraclete says. But also, it's only John that uses the word paraclete to describe the Spirit. This is a real unique book. He does call the Spirit other names, such as the Spirit of Truth. But this is his preferred name for the third person in the Godhead, or the Trinity, the paraclete. There are so many different ways to translate it. I'll go back to Tim Woodruff here. Some of you know him from long ago when he was a minister. He was the minister at Otter Creek back in her old location. Um, advocate, comforter, counselor, helper, friend, intercessor, the one who comes when summoned. Now that's, that last one, that's kind of fun. I remember whenever I was... Um, I went to university, and I really did. It's, you know, it doesn't show. I, I get that. I was introduced once by a friend of mine that says, Patrick has two doctorates, but if you listen to him, you'll never know. I'm going, I'm, I'm thinking that was a compliment, but I'm, I'm not really, let's just go. Um, anyway, we started playing tennis, and I was learning tennis. And one of the things that, that amazed me was the expression, a little help. Those of you that play tennis will know it. Because the ball goes off, and it will cross other people's courts. And you would say a little help, and the other people are obligated to stop what they're doing and get the ball back to you. And I thought, well, that's, that's not how we do rugby, um, that's, or, or soccer, or anything. I'd never seen a sport where other people would come and help you, and all you had to do is say a little help. Well, that's a really horrible ex uh, you know, illustration. But I, there are times in my life where I, I'm going, a little help. I could use that right now. They're expecting me to say something, and I don't know what to say. I don't have a thing. A little help, please. God sends us the Spirit. And here's another interesting thing. I know we're going fast here, but 
Advent's coming. <laughs> we, got, we got to do this, and then we're, where the Spirit will come through Jesus. We'll get there. The most common form of the word paraclete is not a noun, but a verb. A verb form. The Spirit moves. It's translated urge, plead, comfort, encourage, teach, and more. All of them verbs in the truest sense. They involve change. They involve movement because life is a change. Life is movement. I'll never forget the last time I saw my father alive. It was the last thing he said to me. He was very having a horrible time trying to speak with aphasia and dementia and all of it heading. He looked at me without being able to see me through blind eyes, big eyes. He said, are we on a ship? I said, yes. We weren't on a ship, but I knew what he meant. At some level, he understood this as a journey. Am I on the boat? Yeah, you're on the boat. And so are we all. It's not an unhappy thought if you're full of the Spirit. The Spirit of God will get you through the changes. He'll get you through what He wants you to go through to get you where He needs you to be. And it's always going to be quite the surprise. The Spirit of God comes so that you can know who you are. And you can know who God is. And you can know how to follow Him because, frankly, following God can be very messy, very complicated And the road we've got has a lot of potholes in it. But they're there for a reason and we can get through it. We need help. There's old hymns about this, you know, not a step will I take without Jesus. I need thee every hour. There are many songs back in the old songbooks about this. And in the new as well, Mark just did a fantastic job. Every song that he wrote here is about light and spirit coming down. He wrote, well done you. That he, that he chose, you know, the man's full of hidden talents and, and very well hidden. The, the um, no, uh, sorry, that was not planned. That was not planned at all. And, and if I were Cammy, I, I, would, um, I would be very appalled. I, I'd be appalled right now. Okay, moving on. The, uh, he led every song he chose for this, and it's really also special because I switched sermons around about a week ago, and he just caught it and ran with it. And I kept looking up at those words going, wow, every single one of them. Fetting, like just a wonderful join. Look at, we're going to skip to John 14 upstairs, please. John 14, verses 16 through 18. I will ask the Father. By the way, isn't it always good to have somebody to ask God for you? You know, I got something. Jesus says, I got it. I'll go get it. I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate. In many versions of the Bible, advocate is capitalized because it's referring to the Spirit. To help you and be with you forever. Watch, watch that word. Be with you until you disappoint him. Be with you until you mess up. Be with you. And none of that's up there. It's be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept it. Because it neither sees him or knows him. He's been reading our papers. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus has to help them understand that when they see him, they've seen the Father. You remember Philip's response to the first part of John 14. 
And, and he's just saying, I, just show us the Father. I have said that to God so many times. I've been in a classroom full of atheists with an atheist professor making fun of God. And I'm just going, oh, God, I'm, you don't even have to say anything. You know, just walk through, wave, keep going. Or, or better, that fingers of a man's hand thing that was in Babylon, stick it down here. The, just, just, just the professor. Not, it doesn't have to be a mortal blow, just on the ear or something. Just show God doesn't do that. And it is frustrating, frankly. But Jesus says, I'm going to need you to take even another step. Telling his apostles, I'm away and I'm going to need you to believe that I'm not. And I'm going to need you to believe that the Holy Spirit, that he's with you always. And then he tells us, I'm going to need you to believe it even though you didn't see the first generation. I'm going to need you to believe it even though you didn't see the second or the third. You get where that's going. You want to know the Spirit of God? Know Jesus. Because that's what the Spirit wants you to do. Now, I want to be very careful about the way I, I phrase this. And if I leave questions in anybody's mind, you come up to me because you'll find that, yeah, I'll, I'll answer you pretty sharpish when I need to, but I'm also really quick to apologize if I've said something or miss it, all right? Because I'm on a journey with you. I, I'm not getting to heaven without you. You're not going without me. Everybody agreed? Here we go. The Holy Spirit loves you, but the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to make your life all about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to elevate Jesus. Jesus is what what and whom and why he's all of that and so as as powerful and as wonderful as the holy spirit is he will always point at jesus remember jesus and so don't get the don't don't get this out of balance somewhere jesus is the one that god said hear ye him yes and then jesus said his words are from the spirit but let's keep focusing remember jesus you got to practice. I'm going to let Mark, because Mark's got the A-team here. It is so cool to see, see Becca back with us as well from, from New York. I bet we don't look quite as exciting as we used to. <laughs> I'll get around here. All right, you're waiting just to hit me, right? Fair enough. Okay, fair. It's later. All right. Um, would you please stand? And I want to do a really weird illustration here, but I hope... I'm not sure if any of you have ever watched martial artists do their stuff. Now, I'm not talking about the cage match, UFC type stuff. I'm talking about the traditional schools. Back in the, in the 70s, in America, also had overseas, was a TV show called Kung Fu. Every, don't look on YouTube. They're kind of dumb. Um, but it was mainly about philosophy, and then somebody would get hit. So, you know, something for everybody. Um, but karate was a really big deal there. And I was going through university. I went to watch some. And I was really unsure what I was seeing a lot. Because they would have a weird kind of dance. And there were arms going places and legs going places. But nobody was combating each other. And sometimes people would do it alone and be judged on how well they did it. And these were called kata or form. Later I would learn that what this is is when this happens in a battle... Normally, something else is about to happen. So you practice for what is next, and you practice for what is next. It's building muscle memory is what it is 
for the time if you should ever need it. And of course, everybody who ever took karate hoped there would be such a time. They lived for that possibility. You know, uh, on a plane, can you fly the plane? No, but I can, I can do this. You know, that sort of thing. You live for it. It reminded me that if you want to follow the Spirit of God, you've got to practice. Practice, practice, practice. Because when the time comes that you need to move, it should be the muscle memory, the heart memory, the soul memory. You know what to do. You step forward with Christ. In all things, remember Jesus. Jesus tells us he's coming back. And those who live by the Spirit live believing the promise.